Welcome one, welcome all to another developer interview here on the Xbox Expansion Pass. Today, I am joined by John Johannes, director of the gloriously shadow-dropped Hi-Fi Rush, available on Xbox platforms and Game Pass. I am your host, Luke Lore, the insipid ghost. John, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It is a pleasure to have you. I'm sure that you have been talking nonstop about your game. Congratulations on the launch of Hi-Fi Rush. Uh, it launched to immensely positive reviews uh, and did so seemingly out of nowhere thanks to that shadow drop. And I think the the most obvious question there is, how are you feeling now, man? Uh, well, we are one week at this point as recording, one week mm-hmm. from the launch, um, and it is still... The word I constantly use is overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we've been getting extremely positive feedback from the people who played it. Obviously, uh, reviews are better than we could have imagined. Um, and everyone is just blown away in the studio and excited about people discovering all aspects of the game. It's kind mm-hmm. of fun to see everyone see it all, experience it at the same time. Mm-hmm. And everyone figuring it out. <laughs> so. Have you been jumping into streams, watching people play, or have you been kind of taking a step back? Where where have you been spending your time as far as uh, watching the reception? Uh, nonstop checking the internet is the correct answer <laughs> to the point where I haven't been able to do anything else like watch TV or play any other games. Um, yeah, we've been watching streams when it was coming out, people kind of figuring out we're always... You know, those parts of the games where you're like, are, are they going to be okay? You know, we'd always mm-hmm. see people getting up to certain sections and we see them get either they struggle with it, but they get past it, but they're still having fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and then seeing all the people finding the little small little details we've hidden away, mm-hmm. uh, seeing fan art and, you know, all of this happening so quickly, everyone is just flipping out. So, um, yeah, I've been trying my best to keep up, but I the Twitter timeline moves so quickly now that I'm mm-hmm. getting the game is being tagged. It's like impossible to keep up. So I have to apologize to anyone. I've been trying to like almost thank everyone who's been playing the game on Twitter, mm-hmm. but it moves so quickly. I'm probably missing a bunch of them. Uh, so yeah, that's what it's been like. It's funny you say that because uh, when, when the game dropped uh, immediately turned on notifications for your Twitter feed, uh, which meant that I was getting notifications that you were tweeting and trying to keep up and tracking all of that. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. No. I was like, yeah. you, should, you have to have to mute me because I'm just thanking a lot of people. So. But I think that's the best part about it, though, right? Like people are getting to explore your work and play it. And it's giving the gaming community, particularly the Xbox gaming community, a really wonderful thing to celebrate at the top of the year. Uh I have to, so many questions, I guess, about that in general, but I'm curious, how long has Hi-Fi Rush been in development? How long have you been waiting for this time? Uh, so for me, since I've been there from the start, it's been about five years. Um, mm-hmm. But it was a very it was a very slow start in that sense, where we spent a long time um, prototyping and getting the core basic combat uh, to a place where we thought, okay, this is it. And then we slowly added on members to eventually get to the point, Um, you know, and unfortunately, you know, we had to work through the pandemic, uh, Mm -hmm. which slowed things down considerably, like probably every game that had to do that. Uh, Mm -hmm. So maybe it took a little bit longer than we would have liked to. um, But in the same way, maybe that 
was like a blessing in disguise because while it did slow things down, it almost gave us more time to delicately make things like make sure that everything was like perfect and, and polished and, and correct. And, uh, yeah, so it's, it, it has been a journey. Um, I know people see it and they think it's a, oh, you, uh, this is a small, small, small title that they put out, you know, after Game Pass was, after they've been acquired and, you know, they, they pumped it out about two years or something like that. <laughs> is that something <laughs> you're hearing? So Some people, yeah, some people come out and say, oh, yeah, this very small scale game that was probably made just by a couple people. And I'm like, it's, mm-hmm. yeah, it's not really the case. You should look at the credits. <laughs> but, um, mm-hmm. but yeah, it's been quite a journey because, like I said, but it's like a, you know, a parabolic journey in that sense. So. Mm-hmm. We've been in so the five, background, yeah. Okay. So so five years since the beginning, that would put you in roughly 2018. Um, and you said you started adding members. How how big was the team initially and how big did it end at? Uh, it's about, it would literally start with two people. It was myself okay. and our lead programmer, uh, Nakamura-san. And um, we just prototyped that fighting mechanic. And early on, we did get some assistance if we needed something that wasn't in like the asset tree or something mm-hmm. to make what we needed. Uh, we got some help, some VFX sound, some motion people just kind of popped in, made a motion for us. Thank you. Okay. And then, <laughs> and then, um, and then once we kind of had that prototype and it, we knew that we were in a good place, we kind of moved some team members over and we were maybe about like 10 or so, maybe you know, like 10 or 15 people. It's kind of hard to remember exactly. But, um, and we were working on that for a while. And then like another like year of like that. And then, uh, then we just started to slowly, like a new member would join the team and we'd put them on this team or it was a good chance for, um, also a lot of like newer members from the company to kind of jump in. And since it's a newer IP and there was a lot of ways, it didn't take itself quite seriously. So there's a lot of ways to express yourself or try things. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a good way to uh, educate younger developers as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I, I don't remember like the exact count because, uh, you know, pure developers, um, we still weren't like a, a gigantic, gigantic team, but we did have a lot of people on the cutscene team. And I think you, you can understand why, because the quality is, is extremely high in that sense. Um, so that was almost like a stiff, a completely different team. It's like the cutscene mm-hmm. team was just like there. Uh, but yeah, I don't think we, it, it wasn't as big as all of our other projects, but maybe at its peak, you know, at the final, final end, but, um, mm-hmm just finishing it up but yeah it wasn't it wasn't a completely small project at the very end like most people would might think gotcha now when you say you move people over are you moving them from and i'm shooting from the hip on this one like the evil within are you moving them from ghostwire is other products you can't can't mention are they coming from a horror background i guess is the angle of my question uh well everyone theoretically was coming from a horror background right so okay. yeah. if they weren't on um the evil within they were maybe on ghostwire uh and so no it's we never had any and i mean maybe people who joined later we kind of tried to find people who knew about this art style or this gameplay style but for the most case it was newer it was people who had never done something like this before um mm-hmm. you know we were always used to making um the Evil within games or um, or maybe, maybe someone had like in their previous job, but, um, uh, well, for example, our lead 
game designer uh, Yamada-san, like he he has like a lot of experience working on action games going way back. Um, and he came in later in development to help us sort of flesh it out and, and polish up things. Um, and But it was integral to making, I think, the, the combat feel even better um, than it was at that point. Um, but for a lot of us, it was almost like uncharted territory, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Um, we did have some people kind of move over from Ghostwire when we realized like, okay, that they maybe they're not needed in, in that aspect there. So they're, they're better suited for this project. Um, mm-hmm. So we did some shifting around in that sense. But um, uh, there wasn't a significant sort of like immediate like overflow. And the only time we had like a sit, maybe a large help from the Ghostware team was only after they finished the, the project that people gotcha. came in and maybe helped, helped us with the, you know, finishing up some stuff. That's really fascinating. And just to the departure, I suppose, from when you look at your work on the Evil Within DLC and the Evil Within 2 and uh, seeing what Tango is known for, such a departure and yet seemingly quite successful. Uh, I know Hi-Fi Rush is your baby. Where did the idea even come from? Uh, it, it's just kind of like something you had in your mind for a long time. Um, I had... You know, it, I, don't, I don't want to say I thought of the idea when I saw it for the first time, but um, definitely something that we look back was, and I mentioned this in previous interviews, was there's a scene in Edgar Wright's Shaun of the Dead where they're fighting zombies in a bar to um, Queens, Don't Stop Me Now. And, um, and, I, and it was just kind of like a funny moment and everything was synchronized and they played, and it was kind of played as like a, you know, like a, that over the top, situation mm-hmm. but i'm like it just it's it feels good it's like it feels good it feels fun right. and it's it's kind of funny that i was actually just talking with our our cutscene director uh june watanabe he used to he used to work specifically at at our company and now he's freelance but he, he you know he did all do all, do all the work for us on this uh on the cutscenes, and he's like the key member to figure out all like the the animation style but uh he he's like I, I remember the exact moment you brought this up. It's like, we were, it was like way back. Like tw- he's like, I think it was like 2012. I was just walking past her in the hallway and you just stopped me and, and said, wouldn't it be cool if you made a, an action game where like all the, the hits landed with the music. Mm-hmm. And he was like, that's random. But like, it was a completely like unprovoked. So he's like, that's random, but sure sounds cool and then (laughs) we would constantly talk about it you know every like once every six months or something like that obviously uh you know it's like one of those young developer like i I don't know how we'd make it but it sounds like cool idea and then Mm -hmm. i think i finally after the evil within two would say that maybe i had a better understanding about uh not just like game development as a whole but um how systems work and how it theoretically could be possible that Mm -hmm. i was able to propose either, you know, through documentation, um, this is how it would work if we were to make it. Um, mm-hmm. So we should try to do it this way, not just like a kind of bland theory of like, okay, everything just works, you know, so do that. You know, it was kind of like, no, no, this is like how the, how the motion should interpolate and things like that. And so I, you know, it's an idea that you had, but I don't think it could have been made until maybe I had the experience making development that I had. That makes perfect sense on a development side. I'm curious on a on a, a strategic side, a pitch side. Does 
or did you need the clout of, say, successful DLCs and, and the launch of Evil Within 2? Did the clout help for such what I would call a radical idea? Because if I'm trying to imagine the pitch, I couldn't do it. Like, I couldn't understand. I, you know what I mean? It's so so such a departure. Um, is there a amount of trust that, that uh, Tango has to put in you to say, all right, go for it? Uh, I mean, I was sort of entrusted with that. Thankfully, uh, my boss, Mikami-san, saw the potential in the pitch. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, uh, it was something that I didn't expect to be okayed. Uh, I, you know, I just kind of, it was so out of left field. It was so un-Bethesda that I just assumed that it would be immediately shot down. But I was like, if there's any time to pitch it, now is the time. It's like, I do, I just came off doing that project. Another horror game is in development, or at that point, you know, it was like maybe less of a horror, but more of like a spookier type darker game. That, that was, was like, Ghostwire? Yeah, that was Ghostwire, okay. yeah. And, um, and kind of felt like we needed a palate cleanser, but at the same time, we had this idea. And I did know that, uh, you know, Mikami-san's always never wanted the studio to be pigeonholed into one idea. And it's very easy to just pitch another, you know, horror game theoretically, but it's like, what if we try something different? Um, and, you know, I'm thankful that he saw the, the just, I think there's an in- integral maybe from a game design perspective, like a, an understanding between, you know, maybe music and action. It just kind of works. Mm-hmm. It works in movies. It works in, uh, advertisements, trailers, and things like that. And so the concept isn't un- unique in that sense, but it's it's a challenging thing to make work. So, you know, maybe based off my experience, there was, I, I like to believe that there was a sense of trust that uh, let's, you know, it wasn't a straight like, oh, 100%, here's like all your budget, just go away. It's like, no, okay, if you have an idea, show me that you can actually pull it off and so that's why we had that small team to work on that prototype to show that it is possible um so i'm always thankful for the opportunity to even make that prototype because it wouldn't have happened i think without that prototype for it to be so un-bethesda which i think i know what you mean and i would love for you to elaborate but did you have to fight along the way to keep your vision uh surprisingly no um and that was, again, thanks to that prototype, because so we mm-hmm. made this prototype. And uh, again, there's, there was, we knew that we wouldn't be able to make visuals um, for the game. And normally, that's one of those first things that you do when you make a prototype for a lot of games is you focus on like, you know, that pop out of like, hey, this looks, this looks cool or something like mm-hmm. that. But it was just a bunch of gray boxes. And anyone who knows Unreal knows like, you know, like debug unreal guy, like running around the arena and stuff like that. Um, But so we're like, okay, we want this to maybe not look cool, but it needs to play well. And Mm -hmm. so all we did was focus on gameplay. Um, So it was almost a reverse of, you know, when if you want to pitch a horror game, you need to show like these cool visuals and it's like, oh, this looks creepy and stuff like this. It's like, Mm -hmm. it's not about that. It's about the game. Um, so we just focused on the gray box thing. There's no visuals, there's no characters, there's nothing, but it was, so we focused on game and style. So it was like this rock music thing. We do what we can to make it feel like it was like quick and sharp and, and, and fast paced, um, in this small prototype. And this was then passed to Bethesda and 
people who played it initially, you know, they were like, wow, this, this is actually a lot of fun. And there's like nothing there yet, you know, in a sense, it's just like a, like a bunch of blocks. Um, and then it was kind of virally passed internally at Bethesda and it almost got this like weird sort of like cult following or like, Hey, did you hear about this thing? And so then when we went to actually pitch it, and at that point we kind of knew that there was like this kind of hype behind it. And so we said, if we're going to pitch it. We, we wanted to show like what the game would look like from an art direction perspective. And that's when we, you know, kind of went in and drew these, these images, which are very close to what the final game looks like. Um, but there's like this colorful blue skies look. And it's like, the idea is that the game will look like this picture. Like you would be able to see this picture and say, is that art? Is that a 2d image or is that the game? Mm -hmm. Um, and that's our goal for this. Uh, and surprisingly at that point, like I said, there was this sort of, there was word of mouth internally. So when we did eventually come to pitch it, um, it almost felt like, uh, well, everyone seems to love it. I don't know why we wouldn't go ahead with this, you know, type thing. Uh, so the, the team at Bethesda who kind of thought of that sort of almost like internal viral thing, um, specifically our, our lead producer, uh, Todd Vaughn, he, um, he really sort of made it happen in that way. Um, right. If that makes sense. Yeah, no, it makes sense. Yes. I was worried I interrupted you. Yes. No, no. Makes sorry. perfect sense. Um, I'm curious. When you look at this visual style, it it stands out, it's bright, it's colorful, it's fun. I was able to bring my wife, who is a non-gamer, in to watch it, uh, which was really cool. And I might add, she has a musical background, uh, and I do not. So I struggled mightily, despite having an absolute blast, in seeing, uh, like I could hear the beat. But in seeing all the little and hearing all the little like ticks that go as as at the best, the better you play in your game, the more rhythm, the more beat you get. Right. So she was teaching me as we were playing and she's a non gamer sitting on the couch, teaching me timing with me All right, now. Now, try this, try this in a really cool, dynamic way. It was one of those just wonderful moments of uh my non-gamer wife and I getting to bond in something that I love. And so I thank you for having, for, you know, giving me that memory through your art. Um, how did you settle on the art style? Cause that's the first thing to me that she noticed that I noticed before even the music, when you see a screenshot of hi-fi rush, it could be no other game. It could be nothing but hi-fi rush. Uh, I've heard our people mention jet set radio. I've heard people mention dreamcast, uh, but it's hi-fi rush. No doubt. Where'd you get that from? Uh, yeah. So in terms of the visuals, we, we use the examples that you just said, if it was the Jet Set Radio or Beautiful Joe or, um, Okami, and we were looking at games that had a very strong visual identity. Uh, we knew that the game was obviously not going to be a realistic looking game. Mm -hmm. Um, the premise was ridiculous. It wouldn't make sense to try to pull that off. Um, so we knew that we wanted to go for that feeling of games that had a visual identity identity that you kind of remember and stick with you. But we also didn't want to just say, okay, just do what they did and just make it look better. Um, we really worked hard to try to find this in between um, where something that felt like inspired it was, it wasn't quite like a Japanese anime and uh, or an American cartoon, but somewhere in between. And then you know, then we just sort of added in all these like different layers that just kind of became what it is. 
Um, mm-hmm. It's hard to pinpoint like there was like one specific thing, but we did have like three keywords right from the beginning. I was talking with our lead concept artist, Sakai-san, and he was saying, and we just said, we, I just said, okay, whatever art we do, it needs to follow these three guidelines. It's, um, it's colorful, clean, and sharp. Um, because to me, like that was the, those keywords that, that stuck with me. Like it needs to pop out like the, the way, and it, and it worked well within the way we pitched it because it's like, we want this to be like, if you see it as like a YouTube thumbnail, you're like, wow, that looks fun. I want to play that. Like it need to look fun from just like a screenshot is the idea. Mm-hmm. Um, so lots of like, uh, bright, obviously the colorful aspect with these bright colors and you know, especially in like the beginning, we want like, it's like blue skies, feels good. Um, you know, we mess around with that a little bit as the game goes on, but, uh, you know, that first impact, we want it just to be looking very positive. And then the characters too, you know, I don't really see them as being extremely Japanese or extremely American. Um, they're actually helped designed by a company in Malaysia called, uh, Lemon Sky. They helped us out with, uh, you know, refining some of the designs, and things like that because we again we had no experience with we don't have like the like a 2d animation specialist on our team so we're looking mm-hmm. for as much help as we can get and they helped us almost like create this this strong image um of these of all the characters in the game and so it was this weird sort of amalgamation of lots i think of lots of different cultures and backgrounds coming together to create what i think is something like unique and interesting um, obviously you can, like you said, you, you can see a thread of where it comes from, but I like to think it has its own definitive, uh, style that makes it its mm-hmm. own. Uh, I think you absolutely nailed that. It's funny. The three words, colorful, sharp, and what was the last one clean, clean. Yeah. Clean. Yeah. If, if that was what you were going for, I cannot think of better descriptors. Uh, because I, you know, in prepping for our interview and being an Xbox content creator and going and seeking coverage, B-roll trailers, etc., it everything is sharp. It's clean, and it's just impressive to to say that you guys just nailed the audio design, of course, but the visuals as well. And I have a feeling I've not tried this, but I have a feeling thanks to all the visual stuff that goes with it, you could almost play this without audio on and still catch the beat. That was, that was actually intentional. Um, you know, I, you know, I'm not, I can't say that it's easier to play with the visual, with the audio off, sure. but, um, in a weird way, I know we we're thinking about accessibility early. There's only, we didn't have like an expansive team to do everything that we wanted to do, but it, we felt that it was an experience that maybe even people who had difficulty hearing like even they could experience. So we made sure that it wasn't just audio because uh, some people, again, have, even if they're, they're from, they can hear, may not understand what each audio cue is. So everything has a visual element to it. If it's an enemy attack that has a sound for a warm-up that you hear, there's mm-hmm. also a visual element to it. Um, we have the visual assists for where the beat is, the controller rumbling for when you're trying to like uh, parry attacks and things like that. So, you know, so you can actually like feel the rhythm and then return it back at them. Uh, we did work hard to hopefully make it more accessible for people who do have uh, hearing issues or he- hearing disability and could theoretically enjoy it or almost feel like they're part of a musical experience, maybe even if they, they wouldn't be able to hear it. Um, and like I said, I'm, I'm it's, it's hard for me to decide if that, if it worked as 
as it did, but I hope that there are some people who can enjoy it that in that way as well. How much work does it take to get everything that you can see to line up with everything that you hear? Um, a lot of work uh, is the, mm. the simple answer. Uh, luckily, like I said before, that that early phase, that sort of what is important to this game, we said that everything needs to match up to the beat. Um, so mm. when I was working with our lead programmer, we basically made a system that would interpolate everything that's going on to what's happening in the music, um, just from a beat perspective. So every, actually the game doesn't even, if you, you would turn off the music, if you would somehow go in and like remove the music files, the game wouldn't even run. Everything would just stop moving. Like in the player would really? stop moving, um, to the level of the, the music is like absolutely integral to having everything. Cause it's pulling from the, the sound data to say like, okay, it needs to, the, the animation needs to move at X amount of speed and things like that. And, uh, and so Luckily, we had that that we built a system around that from the very beginning. I think retro retroactively going back and putting that in is in is is insanely difficult. Um, and then it was a matter of figuring out what connects to what, and um, that was actually you know it is done at a system level, but it was also kind of hand done in that case where every level was sort of to the poles jumping up and down do they are they just quarter notes or do they match this sort of like this pulse it's like bump 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 you know type thing that makes you feel like it's part of that stage in that song and we had all these animation curves to make sure like they fit with like the the hits landed and things like that but uh it was an incredibly difficult thing and it's funny because even from a production standpoint, music normally comes in at the end of development. It's one of like the last things that come in. And sometimes you're dealing with like, maybe, maybe you have a temp track or something and then it's actually, they go in and they make it. Um, but here we need to almost get a, we would call it demo, a super, super rough version of like a song. They would make that initially. And then we would put that in and we'd say, okay, this is the song when you're not in combat. This is the song when you're in combat. And then, once we knew that, then they would come back and then they would kind of, uh, you know, as maybe the game went on, they would make slight differences between fights and things like that. But we almost had to redo our whole uh, game development um, sort of, uh, you know, the the flow of that to mm-hmm. accommodate for what the, this project uh, pro- was required in order to to run it that in this way. For the system and the game to have to pull from sound data to get visual cues and video uh, elements to go along with it, that would mean to me, as from an amateur and on the outside looking in, uh, that the song design or the song choice, rather, uh, plays an integral part into what the gameplay is going to feel like. And I would also imagine, given that you guys have a streamer mode, that you had to check on this twice. Is that yeah. right? Yeah, the stream. Well, the streamer modes only change the licensed songs. So luckily, okay. it's not the whole game. Okay. <laughs> Thank God. Because <laughs> um, I saw that you got a few do. gray hairs when I mentioned yeah. that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Immediately aged twenty years. Yeah. Um, if they if they probably said every song needs to be redone, but uh, yeah, luckily all the original tracks uh, did not need to be uh change for streamer mode it was the licensed tracks um because obviously copyright the d stuff and the way youtube handles and and twitch handles their streaming things is is always changing and difficult and uh we wanted to ensure that people can enjoy it and not get 
punished for playing the game. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so we had they were all designed customly around the original license tracks. So after that was all done, then we came back and made the streamer mode songs. And we knew that we couldn't redo the entire fight. Like so much of the cutscenes, so much of the attacks were all tied to musical elements from the song. So we had to basically create some original songs that kept the same vibe and hit those same sort of like notes in 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 a way of like if it was a, if the, it has to go into the chorus this way and we need mm-hmm. even if it's not the same riff something that this can latch onto because this attack is going to come at the same time no matter what so this needs to match up and uh like i said i always say it's just a, the immense amount of work that went in from our sound team and um part of our sound team would definitely include uh, a, a group that that formed and called themselves the Glass Pyramids for this project uh, to create those those songs for us. Um, they looked at the songs and, and kind of dissected them and saw how we were using them and we went back and forth and put them in and had to adjust the song to make sure that they were matching correctly. Um, and some people, uh, it, it's great to see that there's that option there because some people like the original songs, uh, obviously more or they like the streamer songs more, which is cool mm-hmm. also because, you know, we didn't, you know, we didn't want to say don't play these, you know, the whole thing was if you play it in that version, we want you to still get the full experience and we don't want you to think like, oh, I got a a gimped version of this sure. song or something like that. Um, so, yeah, like I say, it's, it's all due to the hard work of the team that to make that work. That was a lot of work. <laughs> now, the audio listeners may not have caught it, uh, John, but the video or the video watchers, viewers certainly did. You grinned pretty heavily when you mentioned the glass pyramids. Uh, <laughs> is there any particular reason there? Is there is there a chuckle there for a reason? No, it's just they, they, you know there's a group of people who are working, and then they're like, "These songs are really good. We should name ourselves a band." And they uh, and they're like yeah, let's, let's call ourselves the glass pyramids. And we're like, sure. I mean, I don't know if that didn't have anything to do with this, the game. They just, it was mm-hmm. something that they wanted to do. And we thought that was so cool that a group of musicians who some had their own bands that they were in, mm-hmm. um, uh, they kind of, it kind of brought them together to make a new band and make mm-hmm. a new group of songs out of this, which was just really cool. Uh, yeah. That is cool. More music is always Did- good things. So yeah. <laughs> are, are you, uh, are you, now this might be my ignorance speaking, so I'm, I, this may be something that's well known, and I just missed it. Uh, the soundtrack for Hi Fi Rush is that something that people can find on Spotify? Are you guys tracking that at all, or is that something Spotify, where, wherever, um, or is that something you're planning to put out? Because man, these tunes are good. Like they are good. Just in prepping notes, I'm listening to it. You're talking about the original soundtrack, right? Yes. Yeah. Well. Yeah. yeah honestly, yeah. all of it. <laughs> like, yeah. The I mean, Hi Fi yeah. Rush experience. <laughs> Yeah, the Hi-Fi Rush experience. Uh, that's that's that could be a good band name, maybe. Um, uh, we don't have anything to do yet, but uh, I would just say look at our past releases and sure. And Not trying to put you in a box. There. From I'm there. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Wasn't trying to lock you in on anything. Sorry about that. Yeah. The uh, so can I go back for a moment, please, to the characters in the cast because. I've mentioned the art style. Audio is, of course, an integral part of the experience in playing Hi-Fi Rush. But 
you've got some eclectic, strange, fun, funny characters, ripe with personality from top to bottom. The moment you enter, you're introduced to Chai, uh, and and then you you meet Peppermint and 808, and and it's, they're all crazy and great and fun and hilarious. And you guys beat the absolute mess out of Chai. Goodness. Um, talk to me about this cast of characters. Uh, the writing that goes into it to creating them. Um, yeah, just talk to me about them because they're crazy. They're great. Yeah, well, I'm super glad to hear that. Um, <laughs> yeah, so it was tough working on that because we wanted, we knew that more than story per se, we wanted a cast of characters that were fun and almost like you wanted to spend more time with them. Like that was the idea. It's like, Obviously, we wanted to make sure that the the story of the game and and what happens in the game is exciting and fun to play through. But it's almost it's it's a character it's a character based game where you you know you almost want to see like what situation these people are, are going to get into next or how they're going to interact with each other. And mm-hmm. so more so than like setting out this like plot in like world you know Bible or something like that, we just sent out these like me these like character sheets and it's like okay what is this this type of character like at the beginning and what's this type of character like at the end of the game and how do they interact with each different character um and what are their like strengths and weaknesses and once we kind of worked that out it was actually easier to write in that sense because we knew how they would almost like react Mm -hmm. and uh and i could see how maybe it's a humorous game and for some people, it works great. They love it. They love the characters. Some people, obviously, humor lands differently for different people. They may find, like, a character annoying or something like that. I can totally see that because for everyone, it hits differently. But we knew that we wanted this, especially for Chai, this sort of um, weird sort of slight an- annoyance to him. Like, he he wants to be a rock star. And if, and if you know anyone who wants to be a rock star, they have this, like, larger-than-life persona but they mm-hmm. aren't quite larger than life. Um, so he is kind of like a little bit of a punching bag, but never in like a cruel way. I think the only time he, like people are angry at him is because he legitimately did something bad um, mm-hmm. and we don't make fun of him. And he normally takes everything in stride and he rarely gets down. I mean, there was like a nice moment towards the end of the game where he, he, he there's like a, a self-reflection moment um, and he kind of comes to his own. But even if, if you played until the end of the game, like he's still this very flawed character that's still needs a lot of work. And, and also a big thing for which some people picked up was like, the characters aren't like teenagers. They may look young because of the art style, but like, they're like, I think Chai's like 25, 24, 25. Um, mm-hmm. The idea of like someone, you know, maybe who like dropped out of college is still sort of like finding their way through life. And it's still living that dream almost needs to kind of like, be forced into like proving themselves to do it. And that was kind of a, you know, a fun thing to kind of think about. Cause you think about, if you have to look back at yourself at 25, like at the time you think like I'm an adult, but if you look at yourself, if you're older than 25 or something, you're like, mm-hmm. oh, I knew, I knew nothing. Like I was an idiot. <laughs> yeah, so, um, so that was actually just a fun thing to look back at. And I'm, I'm sure people can appreciate that, that, that aspect, but all the other characters, down to even like the the NPC characters, we fleshed out these like what type of robotic personalities do they have? Like who who do they? The receptionist. Like, the receptionist is like <laughs> yes. yeah. If it was an old Vandalay model or a new Vandalay model or something like that, like whether or not they uh, 
they were, you know, a positive thinking worker or a negative thinking worker. Mm -hmm. And yeah, the receptionist being that sort of, I, you know, I was positive until they took over our company. Now I hate my mm -hmm. job <laughs> you know, or something like that. Um, but yeah, it's just, just like we, we rewrote it like so many times just to make sure that everything worked perfectly with the character dynamics and stuff like that. And there's so much dialogue. I think there's more dialogue in this game than probably everything we've made um, combined <laughs> in mm -hmm. all of our games. Uh, so I did get yelled at a little bit because they're like, you said that there would be this amount of lines and you went like five times over that or something like that. <laughs> but it was just so much fun to write that um, it was a joy. So You're seeing reception now. You're seeing reviews, real like because it was shadow dropped. Of course, reviews took a bit of time, uh, but you're seeing reviews now. Uh, any semblance or any feelings of I don't know the justifications, right? But like validation and say, hey, I've got this eclectic pitch back in 2018. Here we are, 2023. Games out. Games great. People like it. That is that a win? Like is John putting that in, in the back of his mind, kind of thing? Uh, I, I, not just me. I think the the team as a whole sees it as a win because obviously it's a risky venture for uh, our studio. Like I said, from a Bethesda perspective, maybe now that we joined Xbox, it's a little. I think that 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 impression maybe is a little softened because they've have they have a more they have some games that are more family friendly as well. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, to see that. All those targets that we wanted to hit, the accessibility, the I don't, I'm not good with rhythm games, but I can play this game, the the art style, oh, this brings me back to an age where I remember it. Um, there was a lot of, because obviously we didn't know until it was released uh, what the reception would be like, and we did have a lot of confidence, but to see that all the, the comments are mentioning basically, hey, all that stuff that we were saying that we thought would work, that's working, um, is extremely satisfying and not like in like a haha -ha, like i was right way but like like obviously we were worried that you know it would be taken the wrong way you know mm -hmm. or or people would find it like too simple or too difficult and but we i personally thought like we we were like hitting our target exactly where we wanted to and i believe that this was gonna get the reception that we got but you never really mm -hmm. know um, and sure. we weren't doing it also for critical reception too. I think we wanted it, obviously no one wants to get like bad critical reception and we wanted to be, do as good as possible, but that wasn't our main goal is more, it was more of a, uh, having the users feel like, oh, this reminds me of like, this is of just games being fun. Mm -hmm. And that was always like the number one thing that we looked at. And that is just so immensely satisfying and gratifying to see, uh, people respond in that way. Yeah. Mission accomplished, dude. Um, so it's an absolute blast and I don't mean, I'm not saying that to flatter you. It's, I, it's an absolute blast. Um, you have twice now mentioned Xbox and, uh, early on you had mentioned game pass for you to have worked on it in 2018, as early as 2018 and, uh, the beginning of the pandemic. And then Microsoft acquires Bethesda in 2021. Obviously there had to have been a moment where hi-fi rush was shown to Xbox, uh, were you there for that moment? Was that something that you got or heard feedback on? Uh, did that change or impact development in any way as far as like timelines, release schedules, that kind of stuff? Logistics, I guess? Uh, no, I mean, honestly, I heard about it when everyone else did. Uh, so, <laughs> so um, 
that did it surprisingly had little to no effect on as far as from the the developer standpoint anything that Mm -hmm. we're doing because you know bethesda as a whole is kind of treated as its own sort of entity still so i mean i'm I'm sure maybe there were some higher up discussions talking about here's our product lineup this is what we have Mm -hmm. um i wasn't involved in that uh but sure i like to believe that it was always shown positively is this is something that's really kind of crazy in left field but i think we have uh i think this is something that we have here that's very interesting um and uh yeah i mean as we were going towards a release you know even the sort of the release campaign was the the bethesda marketing and and pr team coming together Mm -hmm. and thinking of the strategy um and xbox was i guess totally okay with it uh and great they saw potential so um you know i didn't negative or positive it was it was weird to feel like we're almost like they're just letting us do our thing so they're cool man hands off so that's great dude that's awesome i'm 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 happy to hear that because uh when you had mentioned earlier on in the interview that you were worried that people thought that it was like a two-year game pass filler project um it's clearly a passion a, a project of passion that has taken time and effort uh and i sincerely hope that you guys continue to receive the accolades that uh, are well earned and well deserved, um, and I hope you're able to to do with with that success whatever it is you choose. I know that in many interviews, people have asked you what what's next, what do you want to do, and you barely had a chance to breathe uh, yeah. at the moment. <laughs> but I hope that whatever it is you guys choose to do, uh, it's something that you are equally passionate about and enjoy uh, for sure. I hope so as well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, John, I want to thank you uh, sincerely for taking the time to uh, sit down with me and talk. I'm sure it's been a busy week for you, um, but it's an absolute treat for me, for for XEP and for our listeners uh, to get to hear you talk about uh, your work. Uh, whatever does come next for you, again, I, I wish you the best. Uh, what are you planning to do once this kind of press thing winds down? What's, what's your itinerary? Are you going to get some time to chill? Are you going to go to the next thing what's what's your what's your jam are you going to get rest i i want rest i don't know if i'll get it <laughs> i want to just take some time off uh yeah uh yeah i think it's just i want to yeah i want to have like a, a a breather first <laughs> before i immediately go at first into something but um yeah mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying it yeah Fantastic. Well, enjoy your moment. Enjoy your time. And when you're able to get some rest, my friend, uh, John Johannes, uh, director of Hi-Fi Rush, uh, thank you again for your time today. Thank you so much. It's great talking to you.